We have been uh, going through our Sunday School series on the freedom from bondage. Uh, boy, we've spent a lot of different topics going on here. One, I think one of the largest takeaways so far is this, that God wants to use you, but sometimes, many times, most of the times, He's got to deliver us of our own bondages so we can help others be delivered from their bondage. He's got to prepare us. He had to prepare Moses and get him ready to go back to do what he's called him to do. And we know Moses is balked at it. He's like, now, wait a minute. Yeah, you got the wrong guy. Okay. And uh, for 40 years, he's been fairly uh, content, I guess, uh, watching sheep and married and children and living life. And here God shows up. And I tell you, that's a lot of I've noticed a pattern. It seems that God tends to show up that way a lot when people are just busy about their life. And uh, doing what they ought to do and being where they ought to be. Uh, and somebody says, if you want God to use you, just get busy doing what you're doing. And uh, God, will, God will come and he calls busy people. People doing what they ought to be doing right where they are. Now in Exodus chapter 5, we're going to see God's confirmation to Moses. He's having trouble. How many of you ever had uh, things that you've prayed about and there's a need that you had and, and you've been praying and praying and praying. You still don't know the mind of God. You don't know if I should go to the right hand or the left. And maybe it's days, maybe it's weeks, maybe it's months. And then finally God gives confirmation. It may not bring the answer yet, but he gives confirmation in a way. And you're like, God's got this. We're good. You almost said, yeah, I mean, it's kind of you're done praying. You know what God's going to say. You know, I mean, you know what, that he's going to take care of it. I've had that in life. You've had that in your life. Sometimes it's, it's through a message. Sometimes it's through uh, reading your Bible and God gives you something out of there. Sometimes it's the witness of the Holy Spirit and just a joy and a peace come over. And you're just like, okay, well. Here we go. God will take care of it. It's confirmation. And, and listen, we love, we need that in our prayer life. We need that. And Moses is going to get some confirmation. Look at verse 1, chapter 5, verse 1. The Bible says, And afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord? that I should obey his voice to let Israel go. I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. And they said, The God of the Hebrews hath met with us. Let us go, we pray thee, three days' journey into the desert and sacrifice unto the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. And the king of Egypt said unto them, Wherefore do ye, Moses and Aaron, let the people from their works get you unto your burdens? And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land now are many, and you make them rest from their burdens. And Pharaoh commanded the same day the taskmasters of the people and their officers, saying, Ye shall no more give the people straw to make brick as heretofore. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. You know, there's times when we go through seasons of life and we go through seasons of life with unmet expectations and doubts. You ever been there? You just kind of at a crossroad and you just don't know which way to go. 
you have questions about where God is leading, you have questions about what, what it seems like he wants you to do, and it doesn't, maybe it totally, completely makes sense. I mean, think about this. Now, Moses has grown up in the palace. He has grown up under the previous Pharaoh. He has grown up there, and uh, or under this Pharaoh, I'm sorry. He has grown up, I was thinking of Joshua, but he's grown up under this Pharaoh, and uh, he is... Um, he is at a stage of life where he is now, as I said earlier, 40 years on the backside of the desert. He has gone from the palace as a adopted child in the home of Pharaoh to living on the backside of the desert. And when God spoke to him out of the burning bush, his life now took a completely different turn. Right. So he doesn't remember the first big turn. <laughs> he was a baby. He was in the basket. Right. The Pharaoh's daughter came and took him and, and raised him. That was a big turn in life from being a Hebrew raised up into a, the home of a slave uh, to being raised up into the home of a king. That was a big turn. He didn't remember that one, though. But the second turn he remembered in his life when he killed that Egyptian and he had to get out because Pharaoh found out about it and he uh, wanted his, his life for that. And so he leaves. Things get settled down. Kids, family, sheep. A living, you know, life carrying on. And now here it is. Boom. Another big turn in life. You ever notice that pattern in your life? You have big turns in life. God brings these these uh, turns in our life. And, and sometimes the turns in life, all of them are just preparation for what he's wanting to do in the future. He's getting you ready. And although it's not like the extremes of Moses, I mean, we have all had, we have all had times in our life that have been challenging, that have needed uh, wisdom for, and really that they needed some adjustment in our life to take care of. Adjustment. I mean, you've been used to doing life this way, and then God comes along and puts you here, and there's an adjustment time, right? I remember uh, becoming pastor here. Well, that was an adjustment. That, you, know, you know what I was used to doing? Going to work. Making money, going to church, you know, serving God, you know, listening to preaching, not being responsible for a blessed thing except for myself. And then all of a sudden it takes a big turn, doesn't it, Brother Healy? It takes a big turn from driving down the road and making money to pastoring a church, doesn't it? Yeah, big turn. And it takes an adjustment period of time. I mean, you spend the first, I don't know, maybe 10 years. Oh, wait. I'm only at. Anyway. Spend the first 10 years going, Lord, are you sure? I still don't have this down. I still can't understand this. I still don't know what I'm doing. I still, I, I mean, are, are you sure? I mean, adjustment, adjustment. We don't like adjustment time. The older we get, we don't like adjustments. Moses is 80 years old. Major adjustment. I know, I, I know he lived to 120, but still, he, he's two thirds through his life, right? Two I mean, he's moving right along. Adjustment times. God brings us those. And it was more than personal adjustment. Think about this. He had to walk into the very presence of Pharaoh. He had to walk into the presence of Pharaoh, the most powerful ruler on the earth at that time, as a spokesman for God and demand the, this king to let all of his slaves go. Wilbur Wilberforce didn't have that job. How many remember him? 
in Parliament in England who, who got slavery uh, abolished in England, spent most of his life fighting slavery. Boy, he didn't have the job that Moses had going into Pharaoh, the king here, and telling him to let them go. Could you imagine walking in to maybe the governor's office today, the state of Missouri, walking into his office and say, hey, you need to veto this bill, buddy. This marriage act, that thing needs to go. That is an abomination. That is wickedness. That is, I mean, you could go right down the line. And, uh, and he, I mean, I mean, I don't know how you'd get into his office in the first place. <laughs> but just say you did. And could you imagine looking at him saying, this is wrong. Yeah. Well, that's tough. That would take some. That would take some adjustment. That would take a little bit of the help of the Lord, don't you think, to be able to do something like this. You kind of get a picture when you think that way. Could you not only that, okay, let's move up to the president's office. Could you imagine getting an audience with President Biden and walking to his office and saying, hey, this thing you're doing here is absolutely wicked and God hates it and you need to change course or there's going to be judgment. Could you imagine that? I'd like to. But you know what probably happened? They go, uh... I'd go, uh, uh, never mind. And never, no, no, I won't say it. Yeah. Get a little taste of what maybe Moses had to think about. Just think about that. Now he had an audience with him. How could he get an audience? Well, God had already orchestrated that, didn't he? He was, it was at his adopted dad. <laughs> he had, he already had an, an avenue in, but he's coming back on some pretty bad circumstances. Like, you know, his head was asked for already because he killed a guy. And here he shows up 40, 40 years later. Hey, Dad. Sort of. Yeah. Pretty big deal, isn't it? It really is. But God had appeared to Moses. He gave him the assurance that he'd be with him. That's really all it takes, isn't it? Are you sure God's with you? If you're sure God's with you, I tell you what, it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing thing that what we, what we can do for him and serve him. If we're convinced that God is, that God is with us. Remember, later Moses is going to say, "Moses is going to say, if you don't go with me, I don't want to go." Right? If you don't come along with, I, I have no desire to go wherever this is where you are. Boy, that should, boy, that, that that should be our cry, right? God, I don't want to go anywhere where you don't want to go. I don't want to go anywhere where you're not leading me. I don't want to be anywhere where you're not going to be when I show up there. I don't want to be there. Boy, it'd help us absolutely. He's given Moses specific instructions while he was there still in Midian, how he was supposed to proceed with Pharaoh. So he had appeared to him. He had given him instructions of what to do. And then he even sends Aaron into the wilderness to meet him and uh, to set up a little meeting there so he could be a spokesman because he said, I'm of a slow tongue and I can't talk well. God made a way Every time Moses had an excuse, <laughs> right? Well, who am I going to say sent me? I am. Okay. Well, how am I going to even speak? I, 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 I can't speak. <laughs> okay, fine. Who made your mouth? I, yeah, I'll, I'll give you Aaron. Okay. I mean, just one after other. God's checking the things off. He's preparing him. He's providing for him. He made a way. Everything was set. And here it is. Now it's time for him to go into Pharaoh. Chapter 5, where we are. You'll see here, number one, the confrontation with Pharaoh. 
Pharaoh had inherited really was, which was an incredible fortune and an incredible resource when he became the ruler of Egypt. Two million slaves. Two million slaves. I have to back up because this this Pharaoh here, I get so confused sometimes between Joshua because Joshua obviously was under one Pharaoh. That Pharaoh died. Another one raised up uh, that knew not Joshua. And uh, this was the one Moses was uh, under. And uh, it seems in our text that we have yet another Pharaoh that would have been after the last one. But he inherited two million slaves. He's not just going to let them go, friend. I mean, these, they're making them money. They're cheap labor. They can keep them up in Goshen and out of the way, and they can just use them up there. I mean, this is a valuable, valuable resource. It's, it's kind of like, you know, somebody coming onto your property out in Oklahoma or Texas and, or Kansas and uh, uh, saying, you know, all those uh, oil wells that are making you money, well, we just want you to go ahead and shut those things down. Uh, no. <laughs> right? That'd be ridiculous. Why? They're making money. They're just pumping away out there. I mean, this is what they call uh, passive income. I mean, there's very little they're doing. And this is total passive income to Pharaoh. The, these Egyptians that are just uh, there, uh, they, 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 they are making money. He's not just going to let them go, right? But watch, it was going to take somebody willing to confront him to let them go. Do you know there's some things in our life, there's some things in those around us that will never be changed until somebody is willing to confront the individual? Maybe in your home, maybe in your family, maybe with your children, maybe in the workplace, and maybe you know in, in the government, and maybe on different levels. But somebody eventually has to be willing to say, this isn't right. Somebody eventually has to be willing to come along and say, hey, we, we don't need to do this anymore. You know, it's, it's, somebody has to be willing to do that. And the need for godly men and godly women to stand up anymore and to confo- confront the culture uh, where we are today really is the same today it was as in the day of Moses. We need people who will confront. How, ma- how many are standing up confronting anymore? How many Christians are saying this isn't right? This is ungodly. This is wicked. We ought not go this way. I I mean, I I think of John the Baptist when he stood in front of Herod and he said, it's not right for you to have your your brother's wife. This is wrong. Well, he lost his head for it, but he was still willing to stand up. Amen, he was. What about what Jesus, when when they came and said, hey, Herod wants to hear you. And what did he call, Jesus called him a fox. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, he stood up to him. Nathan with David, thou art the man. He stood up to the king and said, you're wrong. You're living in sin and it's wicked what you did of, of your adultery and your murder. Yeah, it was wicked. What, hey, do you remember David? I mean, Joab after Absalom was killed. And David walked up to the palace, said, oh, Absalom, Absalom, you know, I would have died for you. And he, and he wept. And, he, and, and what really happened, though, remember, Absalom was trying to, to overthrow his father's kingdom to be king himself, right? And so the, the war was on, and, and David's men uh, killed Absalom, who was trying to abdicate the throne. And, and in the meanwhile, David's all upset over his son being dead. And eventually Joab says, listen, if you don't get up and address the people, you, these people fought for you. They, they saved your kingdom. And uh, you're up here essentially whining and complaining and moaning. You better get out and address them or you're going to lose them all. Boy, he confronted them. 
And he needed to. Yeah. Boy, give us peace. Give us men and women of God that would confront society again. Right? It used to happen. I, I, I've told you this before. Uh, when, when, uh, and, and it just comes to my mind, but when that, when that football coach wanted, wanted uh, Wednesday night football practices in Aurora, the town went absolutely berserk and said, we don't do that. It's church night. Boy, shut that down. Yeah, right? Amen. Yeah. That, who would do, could you imagine coming to say, now it's not just Wednesday night, now it's Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I mean, it's every time, Saturday, just games, 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 games. We have some of the most athletic, unintelligent children on the planet. Oh no! Look at our score. Look at school test scores. Do you realize? Do you realize? If I'm not mistaken, I might have to verify this again. But the state of Missouri, if I'm not mistaken, allows the the state testing scores of homeschoolers to be added into the state school tests. It's the only reason they are where they are, man. It's not because of it's not because of the state schools, but. Uh, there's, a, there's good ones out there, don't get me wrong, but man, the majority of them? Why do you think people, why do you think parents are, are, are clamoring for, uh, for school vouchers to send their kids somewhere else to school? <laughs> yeah. Confrontation. We need people to confront the society. We need people to go into uh, the schools and say, you know, these, these books ought not to be in the kids' libraries. These are wicked. These are ungodly. Who, who does that? Who does, you know what? Uh, not many. Not many. Yeah. I mean, and there's people that march through the streets for all sorts of causes. Yeah. All sorts of stuff they're marching out there for abortion rights, for, for uh, you know, uh, anti fascist, anti this, uh, BLM, all of the. I mean, they're blocking streets. They're, they're marching all over the place, screaming and looking like absolute fools. These, uh, these sodomite parades that are just absolute, just the most vulgar wickedness that goes on. And boy, they march for that and they march for this and march for that right and that march for that right. Carry signs and do this. But you know what? Where are we? I mean, I think it's a fair question. I think it's a very fair question. While we wring our hands over the condition of our culture, where have we been? How many have seen an, uh, uh, an anti, anti-abortion um, uh, protest in the Springfield area recently? Maybe it's been a while. I haven't. I, I mean, it's been years ago. Years ago. Yeah. Just peacefully standing out there with signs. See the lady in England that was arrested for praying across from the abortion clinic? Because yeah. she wasn't supposed to be praying there, you know. And she's praying silently to herself. I don't know the whole situation of it. But, uh, yeah, that's few and far between. It really is. What the world needs is not a light version of Christianity. We have that. Like, how is it working? It's not. What, what, what America needs, what Nixon needs, what the Missouri needs, what your neighborhood needs is a Christianity that will confront the culture with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus told Peter, I'm going to make you fishers of men. How many have ever gotten into a boat, sat out in the middle of the lake or in the middle of the ocean and just waited? Here they come. Ba-dum, ba-dum. Oh, look at that fish. Oh, they're just hopping in the boat. Look at that. They're just 
They're just swimming up onto shore, right? You're on the bridge. They're just hopping up. Oh, come on. This is, of course they don't do that. Why did Jesus say, I'll make you fisher of men? Because they have to go out and be caught. We have to go to, what is that? Confrontation. We have to go to them on a, a one-on-one. There was a, I was in the drive-thru just the other day, unfortunately, and, uh, and uh, uh, the, I forgot what the young man, the guy said, oh, uh, the, the girl, some girl took the, took the order on the microphone and you go up to pay and it's a guy. I said, wow, your voice changed. And he goes, oh, that was, that was the girl. I'm like, yeah, I know. I'm just teasing you. And he goes, I, I, you know, we kind of chatted about that. So, uh, you know, open door, you know, I, we're, I don't have it in me. I said, here, you need, a, you need another smile or smiley track. He's like, oh. And then he opens it. He's like, oh, okay, thanks. You know, and, hey, listen, that you have to figure out some way to get it out there. I know not every time it works, but man, sometimes there are open doors. You need to confront them with the gospel. And when I mean confronting with the gospel, that doesn't mean screaming at them. That doesn't mean yelling at them like, you're wicked. You know, I mean, that. That's not what that confrontation is just a one on one presenting something to them that they need. Right? Yeah, okay. I think we're done there. Listen to Matthew twenty eight, twenty. I've got this written down here. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you, and lo I am with you always, even to the end of the world. He's commanded us. Go ye out into all the world and preach the gospel. He has commanded us to confront our culture with the gospel. Whether it's at work, whether it's at a gas station or Walmart. Remember, I've, I mean, I've given, you, I've given us great ideas, right? right. <laughs> Go to Walmart and just put, put tracks in the towels or all the towels. Just start shoving them in there. You know? And there's all sorts of fun ways. Ask, tell, ask the Lord. You know, the Bible says in Psalms that God is the giver of witty inventions. Say, God, give me something really clever to do with these tracks. Well, I'll tell you, you might be surprised. Yeah. Yeah. Confront, the, confront the culture with the gospel. Confront them with the gospel. Moses had a confrontation with Pharaoh. He had a confrontation with Pharaoh. It had a purpose. You know, some confrontation doesn't have purpose. Sometimes it ends up and you're like, well, that was pointless. Right? You ever say, I'm going to talk to the person about, I'm going to go to my neighbor and we're going to talk about this, 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 or that. Or, yeah, that, that didn't work. You know. Sometimes people have things to do and it really doesn't have any purpose to it. But this one had purpose. Moses approached Pharaoh with a specific purpose. Look at verse 1, would you please again? And afterward Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. That's pretty purposeful, right? That's, isn't it? A pretty bold command. Let my people go. How did he get that boldness? Well, he wasn't acting on his own authority. He was speaking for God. Well, that's where you get your authority. Yeah. That's where you get the boldness to say, listen, unless you come into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, you're going to die and go to hell. And you need to be saved. God loves you. How can you say that with such authority? Because God is the one who said it. See, Moses has this authority. He immediately told Pharaoh... Uh, whose power 
he was coming in, whose authority he was coming in. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel. Yeah. Pretty bold, wasn't it? That's why I have, I have no, no I, I'm sorry, I really struggle with, with preachers who preach with zero boldness. You are preaching the very Word of God. If you're preaching the Word of God, you should be able to preach boldly and with assurance and clarity and everything else. Why? Because not me. It's not, it's not what the person's saying. It's what the Word of God says. Maybe you don't believe the book. That could be the problem. Yeah. Let my people go, he said. It was clear said it's from God. It's pretty clear. And uh, when he said that he wanted his people to go free, it wasn't simply just to, to just go out and have a play date, right? Could you give us the day off? Could we have recess? <laughs> we're getting tired. It wasn't that at all. He, was, he, wasn't, he, was, he said they, they were going to go out and hold a feast. Now this word feast here isn't talking about just going out and having a meal. We're going to go have a picnic. Can we go three days out and have a big picnic? Right? And we got all the stuff put together. No, this, this was not that type of feast. This was a time of worship. Worship. F- Moses told Pharaoh, God said, let my people go. Three days journey out to have a feast, to worship me. Yeah. Look at Exodus, back in Exodus 4. Look at verse 21 through 23. You'll see this here. And I said unto thee, let my son go, that he may serve me. And if thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. And it came to pass, by the way, in the end, that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. I read the wrong verse. No, I didn't. Yeah, 21. And the Lord said unto Moses, When thou goest to return into Egypt, here it is, I'm sorry, see that thou do all the wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in thine hand, but I will harden his heart, that he shall not let the people go. And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I say unto thee, yeah, there it is, I forgot verse 21, Let my son go, that he may serve me. And if thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. There it is. So notice this. I don't know if he caught this. God was clear in what he wanted Moses to say. But did Moses say all of that? Wait, he said part of it. Moses said part of it. But I I don't know what happened. Maybe when he got in the presence of Pharaoh, he got a little scared. Maybe he got a little nervous. Maybe I, I don't know, but but I do I do know this. He didn't say anything about the, the the firstborn son being killed. I mean, God told Moses pretty plainly what to do. But you get in chapter five and verse one, he just says, "Let my people go that may go and hold a feast unto me in the wilderness." Right? And then Moses says, "Well, if we don't go, God will fall upon us with pestilence." He he left for some reason. He left out the part that God had already told him that the firstborn son would be killed. But don't we do things similar to that today? Right? We might declare the truth, and it is the truth of the love of God. I read somebody the other day that they said, "I, I don't see how you could think uh, God God being love is the center." center uh, or the foundational reason of salvation. I'm like, what? 
I mean, people say some of the bizarre stuff sometimes. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. And this person said, well, you know, it, was, it, was, it wasn't just love, right? It was a Calvinist. They, they you know, they got to they just sully up everything, really, and confuse it all. But we do this. We, we, we declare the love of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God. And, and that is all true and it is exactly who God is. But how often do we shy away from the other aspects that need to be uh, handed down to him, like the wrath and the judgment of God? You see, the wrath of God was poured out upon the Lord Jesus Christ. The wrath of God was poured out on His Son uh, and, and, and that He became sin for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us. And the wrath of God fell upon His Son so it does not have to fall upon us. But if we reject the gospel, if we reject the, the Lord Jesus Christ, if we reject the blood atonement for our sins, the only thing we have left is for the wrath that was poured out upon Jesus to be poured up, out upon us for the for the rest of our eternal existence. I'm sorry, people need to know this. Right? Wouldn't would it be wouldn't it be a weird doctor? I mean, you've heard all these illustrations, but think about them again. Wouldn't it be a strange doctor to have a patient that you know is is has cancer in the in the beginning stages and it could be corrected, but all they, all they do is talk about how great their blood pressure is? Well, your blood pressure is good, your 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 numbers are good, your cholesterol is okay, and and I tell you, there's nothing showing up on the MRI. You're looking great. That is wonderful. Wow, you're in great shape. I don't want to talk about cancer. That's awful. That's, I know, it's ridiculous. But, but how is that any different when we approach people with the gospel? Do we tell them every... And I'm telling you, if we do this, we're not approaching them with, with all of the, with, with, with the, the... I hate to say the full gospel, but all, all of the truth. But say how wonderful God is, and He is. And how, much, how God is love, and He is. And how He's mercy, and He is. Why is He love? Why is He mercy? Because there's judgment. Why is He forgiving? Because there's judgment, right? There's a cancer that we are born with that if it's not detected and taken care of, we will die with it and we will live an eternal death that we can never come out of. Pretty big deal. They like to remove the offensive. You know, you know the extents that people go to disprove hell? And they'll say, well, well all, of the, all of the things used for hell are just a metaphor. Can I tell you this? A metaphor, watch, metaphor, if you, even if you want to go this route and say, well, they're just metaphors, they're just metaphors. Metaphors are never as powerful as what is actual. The metaphor, I'll say it again, the metaphor is never as powerful of, what, of the actuality of that it's describing. Think that through, yeah. When people say, well, the hell is just metaphors. Well, then it's worse than that. It's worse than the metaphors. Because the metaphors never come up to fully explaining, uh, able to fully uh, give the, exp- uh, the, the, the explanation and the, and the severity of what is actually going on. No, hell is a pretty awful thing. Jesus spoke of hell more than he spoke of heaven. Jesus said, where the flame is not quenched and their worm dieth not. What is their worm? You can go over to Isaiah 61. See the carcasses of them that were dead and their worm. It is their soul. They will never die. 
They'll never die. Weeping, wailing, gnashing of teeth. Oh, that's just a metaphor. Fine, it's worse than that. Where the flame is not quenched. Oh, metaphor. Fine, it's worse than that. The torment of their, the smoke of their torment went up day and night, forever and ever. Oh, just a metaphor. Fine, it's worse than that. If we're going to confront our culture with the truth of the gospel, wait, if we really love them, maybe that's what it comes down to the help that we need from God is to learn to love the world as God loves the world. We tell them. We tell them. You say, well, they might say they don't believe it. Okay, fine. Tell them anyway. You know how many people have uh, listen. You know how many people have left a doctor's office and just refused to believe what they were told. Yep. And they died with whatever. They were <laughs> Sometimes that happens. I have a friend of mine who said I was told I had this and I refused to believe it. Yeah. Yep. It happens. It happens. Eventually, Moses is going to get to the message of the judgment coming a little while later. But uh, a lot of times we get into the presence of the world. We get in presence of somebody, of uh, somebody at a door on visitation. You get in the presence of somebody at a drive-through, and at times you can kind of zip up. You ever you ever left somewhere and go, what a chicken? <laughs> I've said that about myself. I'm telling you, it's like the Holy Spirit of God. There's something there, and then something comes up, and it's just awkward or weird. And I walk away from that situation. I go, what a chicken? <laughs> what? Ha- okay, I'm the. I think I'm. I may be the only one. It's okay. It's all right. What are some things, think of some things today, what are some things that the world is trying to get us to change on? You can, you can spout them out, it's okay. What are some things that they're pushing Christians to change on? I mean, it's all over the news. No yeah, well, that, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there is no God. The atheism is, is growing, right? But I would still argue whether they're really atheists or not. They, but uh, that, that they're taking on that position that's growing. What about sodomite marriage? Yeah, abortion stance. You just, uh, they go absolutely, absolutely berserk about that. Yeah, yeah. For the, yeah. Yeah, so there's some woman out with a, with a, with a shirt that said, I had an abortion. It's like, I just can't fathom that. Yeah. But well, they're pushing us. They went through a while back, remember a few years ago, they, the whole thing about ha- having bathrooms for, for both genders, you know, and having, you know, wh- however they identify, whatever that was. And we just said, what? I guess, I guess we won't have bathrooms. <laughs> yeah. Guess what? We can do outhouses, right? We'll just paint them pink and blue. 
No, listen, we're all listen, friend, we're always going to be pressed from the world to back away and to not say the whole thing. We're always going to be pressed to back away and to just kind of zip it. Okay, God is love, that's wonderful. You have your little God, that's cute and that's nice and and that's wonderful, but uh, just just stop there. I don't want to. You're so mean. Right. God, listen, God's uh will for Moses going into Pharaoh, it had a purpose. It had a purpose. He wanted not only just get the Israelites out of out of bondage, but he wanted to warn Pharaoh as well that judgment was coming. And then it had some parameters. We're not. I'm going to stop here today. I I really thought I'd be pages ahead. I don't know why I keep thinking that stuff. It never happens. But uh, it it had it had a purpose. Listen, we are called on to confront our culture today. We are called on not to listen. Oh, oh, well, listen, please. Not to be, pardon me, not to be jerks. Totally different. Totally. You know, if you really love the one that you're going after, it will temper your attitude and in your in your in the way you deal with them and talk to them and everything else. Somebody you love, you're just not real rude to, right? Not. We're not talking about being rude. We're not talking about just being ugly. There's plenty of those out there. Yeah, we're talking about it in love and compassion, warning people that if they don't turn to Christ, they're going to spend an eternity separate from Him in hell. Whatever you think that may look like, whatever you think it is in the Bible, it's worse than what's written in here. It's worse. They need to know. They need to know. You say, well, I don't know how to say it. God could help you. What did he tell Moses? I'll give you Aaron. You know what he's given us? He hasn't given us Aaron. He's given us somebody better. He's given us the Holy Spirit of God. And you've done it. You've wa- you have walked away from encounters with people. And you said, I don't know how those words came out. I don't know how I said that. Well, I know. You know how you said it. It's the Holy Spirit of God. Yeah. May God help us to confront our culture. And uh, be busy again about bringing people to Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word today. And thank you for the work that you, that you did in the life of Moses, how you prepared him and uh, used him in such a mighty way. Ways that he didn't even want to be used, really, and ways he didn't think was even possible for him to be used. Uh, but once he allowed you to, to just uh, take his life and use it, uh, what mighty and great things you did. And you can do the same with us. You want to do the same with us. Your plan, you have a purpose in it. And, and we know that right now the purpose is to bring the world to Christ, to go out and to seek and to save that which is lost, to go out and to preach the gospel to every nation. Would you help us to do that and trust you in it and allow you to do it? In Jesus' name, amen.